This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this qualification meeting. I'm a food addict from California, and I'm your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. Well, I just want to begin my story saying that I am a food addict, and I think that that's probably the most important thing I can say about myself. It's defined my life. And when I think about where I was as a young child, I know that I was drawn to food very early on. I'm not sure if I was just born with a propensity for that, but I can remember early on in our family at holidays and Christmas, just getting up early and running downstairs, maybe at five or six in the morning and going for that sugar, the sugar stuff that was ready for me. And it was kind of like, okay, it's legally okay to start eating sugar at like six in the morning or 5.30 in the morning. And I was more excited by that, I think, than what the holiday was about or even other gifts. It was always what party was going to happen and what food was going to be served at that party. And could I get involved in making it? And could I get involved in licking the bowl or licking the spatula? It wasn't really that I wanted to do the work in the kitchen. I just wanted what was in the kitchen. So I think food served as a comfort to me. I think food very early on helped me address my fears. I was probably sort of a scared, anxious child. My father described me as being very intense. And I think food took the edge off from the very beginning. So it progressed. I think if it sort of stayed at that level, it might have been okay. But as time went on and I got into high school, I started feeling that kind of deep insecurity and fear that was underneath. It started getting worse in a sense where I was comparing myself to other girls in high school And I was always coming up short. Whenever I was looking at them, they were somehow prettier or just more attractive or their body shapes were, they they looked leaner, longer and leaner. And I'm only five foot two. And I felt like I was already feeling stocky or pudgy or thick, or it wasn't my ideal of how I wanted to look. And it wasn't what I aspired to be. And it just caused me a sense of discomfort. I've mentioned I'm five foot two and I had a very comfortable weight and I was probably only five pounds overweight, but I began the search to lose the weight. And I began going to a commercial weight loss program to try to lose that five pounds that was making me uncomfortable. But in my head, those five pounds may as well have been 500 pounds. The way I felt about myself and the degree of obsession that I had with that, I would be looking at my thighs or looking at my arms and they just didn't look 
the way I wanted them to look, and I didn't, I didn't feel good in my own body, and I was very, very self-conscious. I think that's the word that I could use to really just sum up how I felt, was very self-conscious about my body, how I looked, and my size. So I began this quest to lose weight. And I think along with that quest to lose weight came this magical, wishful thinking that if I could just be thin, if I could just be thin, my life would be amazing. It would just skyrocket beyond belief. Very immature kind of thinking looking at it now, but if I could just be thin, I'd be rich and famous. Although I wouldn't have to do anything to be rich and famous. You know, I wouldn't have to like get a skill or learn how to act or anything that people might have to do to become rich and famous. It would just be bestowed upon me if I was thin. Like that was the source of all my problems. So I kept striving. That was the beginning of striving. Because of the way I felt about myself, I had this sense of I'll just try to achieve and make sure that everything is looking good on the outside as best I can because I don't feel very good on the inside. So that led to this kind of striving and driving, trying to fix myself by making everything look good on the outside. I didn't really know how to talk about my feelings. I didn't really know how to let anybody know, hey, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling fearful, I'm feeling anxious. I, I didn't know how to express my feelings, so instead I just tried to avoid. And when I got into my teen years, I got into a deep depression at one point, and I was taken to a psychiatrist and given some antidepressants, and that really filled me with shame because nobody I knew at that time was doing that where I lived, and it was shameful for me to think that I needed that. So I didn't stay on them very long, just a short period of time, but from that experience, it created even more of that sense, like, I need to control this, I need to control my weight, I need to keep striving, and I need to keep making everything look good on the outside because I was running from myself. I was just trying to escape. And I think that that desire to escape just continued on and on, and I drank and ate for those reasons, to escape life, to escape my continued feelings of not being enough, and I kept seeking and searching for something that would fill that hole. I didn't know that I had this hole. It was all I knew. And so I kept looking for outside achievements to fill it, and I kept working really hard. So if you looked at me from the outside, at times everything looked pretty good. My family was intact, and I went off to school, I went off to college, but everything I was doing was being fueled by the food. And I realized that I'd started to binge, probably in high school, and that's when I really knew I had an abnormal relationship with food. And I did try to diet. I did try, I tried several different kinds of diets. I can remember when there was a high school dance, I might be thinking, oh, if I could just lose that five pounds by Friday night. So it might be the week before, and I would start dramatically restricting and eating very only low-calorie foods for that whole week. And I was telling somebody earlier that I can still remember a particular skirt that I wanted to get into so badly. I can remember to this day the fabric 
and the color, and that skirt hung in my closet for years, and I could never lose enough weight to get into that skirt. I never wore that skirt. And today I could probably wear it, by the way. I don't have it anymore. But that's what my mind was, I think what I'm trying to communicate is the preoccupation with either food or body image or my weight or not eating or eating. It just was consuming. It was consuming my life and my mind. I was living my life in one sense, but there was this whole other constant monkey on my back that I just could not get relief from, could not get free from. So as time went on, I left home, and it was a lot of lost years. I had a marriage that ultimately failed. The disease of addiction was progressing, and I was a lost soul going from job to job, feeling very lonely, very on the outside, always on the outside looking in. I remember someone reminded me of this today. I remember having a job as a mail carrier in this very posh town, and it was close to the holidays, and it was dark and gloomy, and I was all by myself carrying this mail around, looking in all the windows of all the houses and seeing all the pretty lights and things inside the houses and wishing I could just be in any one of those houses. Like, just somebody take me in and comfort me and make me feel like I'm a part of something. I'm just out here floating around the universe. But, again, could I do anything to create that for myself? No. What I would do is I'd feel that way and then eat feel that way and then eat. Oh, I feel miserable. I've gained weight. My solution would be to eat. From that point on, I did try a lot of other things. I tried exercise to control my weight. It was a lot for me about trying to control that weight. I remember days where I'll just go for an eight-hour run, isolated. I'm just going to run, just go for a run all day, and that somehow will control my weight. I remember one time going off by myself. This is later on as an adult. I had a good job in a large city, and I took a month off from that job and just went in my van and drove all the way up the north coast, north of California. And my main reason for going off on my own was to not eat. I just went on a self-imposed fast. I think it was close to a month. And I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing because I knew it was crazy. And at the end of that month, I walked into a bakery, and I saw something, and I said, I'll take one of those, and the one progressed to another binge, a whole bag, and I ended up in the emergency room with this distended belly, sick, alone, wondering, how did I get here? And I remember the ER doctor coming in, and what happened? And I was like, I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't say out loud what, what happened. I knew very well what happened. But I couldn't look this man in the eyes and say, yeah, I've just been... I've just been eating for, I mean, I've been not eating for 30 days and I just stuffed an entire bag of flour and sugar items into myself. Like, I knew what that would sound like and I knew probably I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to admit to myself how crazy that was. And so, of course, I got down to a low weight and proceeded to eat myself right back up to within a couple of weeks. So nothing would work that was sustainable. It might work for a week, it might work for a month, but nothing that I did would work for any length of time. So I then ultimately came into and tried a couple of other 12-step programs for food, and they didn't work for me because I had probably too much latitude and too much freedom to do what I wanted to do in those programs. But I'm grateful for having experienced that because it began to teach me what addiction was, and I knew that I needed this kind of help. And ultimately, somebody introduced me to the program of FA, 
and I came into the rooms of F.A. And I didn't get abstinent right away. In fact, I struggled for seven years in the rooms of F.A. And I think the reason for that was when I got here, I knew this was the answer. But in the meantime, I was still under that constant drive for success, and I had a job as a, as a consultant, and I was traveling around the world, and I felt like I had this kind of successful facade on the outside, and I didn't want to give any of that up because I thought that's what was bolstering me up. I thought that's what was keeping me together. And that way of life for me wasn't working. It wasn't conducive to me doing the things that I needed to do in this program of FA in order to stay abstinent. And so what it really was, was I wanted what all of you had, but I didn't want to have to do what all of you were doing. I thought, I'll just stick my toe in the water and I'll do some of the things you're doing. But really, the other part of it was I just wanted to lose the weight. It was all still in my head just about the weight. If I could lose the weight, life was going to be good. I did adopt enough of the program to lose the weight. And there's a saying I've heard in this program that thin is not well. And that was me. I got thin, but I could not sustain it. I would keep going back to the food eventually, even in FA. I think one of the problems that I had was when I got thin, it bolstered up my ego. <laughs> this is a spiritually based program, one designed to promote the concept of humility and ego deflation. But what I was doing was like, ooh, I'm, I'm thin now and I've got the job and I'm feeling really good about myself. And I would start thinking I would have that addict amnesia, like I'm well now. And I've since learned that the disease of addiction doesn't go away. And I need to do the same things today than I did when I came into the program in order to stay abstinent. So that I would kind of get high on being thin, and then I would go back to the food. I knew there were sponsors in this program and people in this program that were doing the program the way it was designed and the way it has been lived out for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. But I was not choosing any of those people to ask help. I wasn't choosing them to be my sponsors. I was choosing people where I could run the program my way, do the things I wanted to do, and it didn't work. So that continued, that process. It was very difficult to be in the rooms of FA and be coming and going and feeling like a failure because I kept on going back to the food. I think the main thing that was positive is that I stayed in the rooms. I didn't leave. And I think that's why I'm here today, and I think that's probably why I am alive today, is because I just kept coming back. I felt ashamed of myself. I felt like, oh, no, everybody was saying, here she comes again. What a loser. She's still eating. So I'm just grateful that for whatever reason, I had enough guidance from God or strength to just stay put and keep coming back. What happened was I still had the big job, and I remember one time, we had a convention in another country at a very high-end resort because for those of us that were doing really well on the job, my husband and I got to go. I was sitting at this big event, and I was seated at a table with the CEO of the company and all this dress in this beautiful dress and getting a trophy and all of this. And then the next morning, I woke up and I ditched my husband I snuck out of the room. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm just going to tell him that I wanted to take an early morning walk. But I waited until I could sneak out, and I went to the breakfast buffet, 
and I got three huge containers of food and went out onto this beach and proceeded to just eat those three containers of food. There was not a lot of vegetation on this beach, but I remember thinking, i got to try to find a palm tree or something I can hide behind because what if the CEO and his wife are just taking a leisurely walk on the beach and there's a little star performer stuffing her face. In fact, one thing I put in my throat actually lodged in my throat and I had a moment where I thought, I'm actually going to die on this beach because I was choking. And at the last minute, it dislodged. So for me, this is no joke. I could easily could have gone one way or the other, and thankfully I'm here today, but it was it was scary. My husband, of course, was used to this and picked up on the fact that I was once again doing this binging behavior, and I remember telling him in all sincerity, like, after that binge, I felt so sick, physically ill from ingesting all that food, that I said to him, you know, I'll never do this again. That's the good news. The good news is I will never do this again. I am so sick. I just promise you, I'll not do it. Well, the next day we flew home. I ditched him at the airport, went to a sugar shop, got a bag of sugar, went into a pretty dirty bathroom, airport bathroom, and got in a stall and proceeded to stuff that bag in me. Again, ditching my husband within 24 hours of actually believing I would never do this again. (laughs) I don't think I was lying. I think I thought that I wouldn't. I'll just say that the other thing that I did was try to get my husband to police me. I would give him my car keys. I was so desperate to get abstinent that I would ask him to do that. And I asked him one day to drive me to a Saturday morning FA meeting so that I wouldn't eat on the way to the meeting or on the way back to the meeting, which I did a lot. And he said he would do it. And I got there. He dropped me off. I reached in my pocket. There was a $20 bill in my pocket. You can all imagine. I left the meeting, crossed the street, bought a bag of stuff, ate it, came back to the meeting, cleaned myself up, and then walked out to get in my husband's car and said, hi, (laughs) like pretending that I'd been at the meeting. So my point is, this disease of addiction turns me into a liar, somebody I just don't want to be. So the good news is, that was my last binge. I went from that meeting, he dropped me off at an AWOL, which is a way of life, the way we work the 12 steps in this program. And I took the commitment for the AWOL that day. That was my last binge, and I've been abstinent today for over a decade, and I'm extremely grateful to this program, to all of you, to my fellows, to my sponsor, to my family. It's just a miracle. I mean, that depiction that I gave you to the person I am today and the life I have today, there's no comparison. The gifts of this program have been immense. They're beyond belief. I can't even believe it myself sometimes, but in the big book, If Alcoholics Anonymous talks about being rocketed into the fourth dimension, when I first read that, when I was newer, I was like, oh, that's not going to be me. I might just slug along somehow and barely stay alive (laughs) because that's how I felt about life, right? I wasn't that thrilled about getting up in the morning. I definitely thought about not being here somehow. But the truth is the miracles of just being in a right-sized body for all this time and getting less obsessed about my body and getting freedom around that and being more comfortable in my own skin, that's a a miracle enough right there from where I was to where I am today. My brother was diagnosed with leukemia after I'd been abstinent for many years. The doctors told him at a very big medical center that there wasn't any hope, and we went down essentially to say goodbye to him. We thought that was going to be terminal for him. But we did a test, and I was a 10 out of a 10 match, and I became a bone marrow transplant donor for my brother, who is now five years post-cancer, enjoying his own family and grandchildren. 
So God gave me this incredible gift. And at the time, I had the healthiest body you could possibly have. When I sat with the medical people, they do everything when you're a donor. It was no, 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 no to everything. And she finally put her pen down. She says, I've never met anybody like you. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, you don't even know what goes on behind the scenes. It just doesn't come naturally for me. But I was so grateful to know that I had my body in optimum health and was given that opportunity to help my brother in this way. The other thing that happened in all those lost years in addiction, I really went through all my normal, natural childbearing years. But deep down... I I knew I wanted to be a mom. I really, really knew I wanted to be a mom. I thought it was way too late. I was much older than anybody would dream of to have a child. But I kept talking to my sponsor about it. Just talk and talk. And she kept saying, pursue all options. Pursue all options. She gave me that hope. And I went, really? It's the first person who had listened to me and said, yeah, okay, pursue all options. Let's see what God has in store. And I did, and I don't have time for the whole story, but I can tell you I'm the mother of a three-year-old little girl today. I'm having the opportunity to be a mom. It's beyond my wildest dreams, for sure. Absolutely for sure. I have been so, so blessed. Blessed beyond measure. And all I do is weigh and measure my food and work the tools of this program. And when I heard that, when I first came in, I'm like, really? No, 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 you don't understand. i got a lot of problems. And the sponsor will say, that's fine, just weigh and measure food, things will work out. So I don't know how this works, but weighing and measuring my food, doing the daily tools and disciplines of FA, here's my life today. It's unrecognizable to that lonely, self-obsessed, driven, unhappy, miserable soul that I was as a, as a food addict in the disease. The other thing is, I didn't get along with people very well through all that time. How could I? I was so self-obsessed. I was super sensitive. So anytime anybody looked at me wrong, could be the clerk in the grocery store, I'd be like, they don't like me. They don't like me. Nobody likes me. (laughs) Nobody in the whole world likes me. I don't know where I got that, but that seems to be what my disease would tell me. And so I couldn't get along with my family. I was estranged from them at various points through, through all this traveling around. And today, my mother, who is 101 years old, lives with me, and we love each other, and we get along really well, and it's wonderful. And she, at 101, is getting to experience the birth of my little girl, and the two of them are two little pals today, living together, all in the same roof. Again, from a lonely, isolated food addict to a house with a 101-year-old mother, a husband, my little daughter, and two little doggies as well. So, you know, it's a full house. And it's a miracle, a miracle. My relationships with fellows, my relationship with friends, my relationship with my husband, it's real today. He reminded me, he said, you know, when we used to go out to eat, you were gone. You would be, like, picking up the menu, ordering, and then when the food would come, it would be your head would be down. I may as well have been with nobody. Like, you were not present. And I noticed that today, when we go out to eat, which, you know, sometimes we do, I'm present. I'm there. And we're connected. And I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love with my mother. I'm in love with my husband. I'm in love with my baby girl. I'm in love with my friends. And I'm in love with this program. And I think that I owe all of that to the spiritual development that was put forth to me when I came in this program. I was told 
ultimately that this is a spiritual program. It's a, it's a threefold disease, you know, the physical and the mental that I've described, but ultimately I was in spiritual bankruptcy, and that's what was driving me down. So for today, I know I'm so grateful that I've found a God of my own understanding, and that God has been so merciful and so loving and, as I said, given me the gift of a life that I just hope I can share with others because I know that's a big part of what this program is about. So I was really scared to do a tape. I'll just admit that. Not something that is in my comfort zone at all because I, I'm a control freak <laughs> still. <laughs> I like to be in control of everything. But everybody helped me. They said, relax, ask God for help, tell your story as best you can. And I hope that if anybody's ever listening to this, that it'll be of some help to somebody, some poor suffering food addict somewhere. So thank you very much. Would you please join me in a moment of silence and the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.